Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. As I was looking at these passages again, this one in the next section, we looked at this entire thing here from verse 19 to verse 34 on Sunday. But as I was looking back at them again, I thought of the words of Jesus. This is at the beginning of his ministry. At the end of his ministry, in Luke's gospel, he said to his disciples, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will come upon you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I find this interesting, that here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus touched on or addressed two things that he specifically said at the end of his ministry would cause people to be unprepared for his return. And he wasn't speaking to unbelievers, he was speaking about believers. Because he went on to say, be on your guard and watch and pray that you will be ready and counted worthy to stand. So the deceitfulness of wealth and the anxieties of life. And Jesus touches on both of those here in Matthew. And then again, at the end of his ministry, those are two of the things, along with the pleasures of this world, that will cause people to be unprepared for the return of Jesus. I want to share just a few thoughts with regard to this first section. And then tomorrow evening, a few thoughts with regard to the words of Jesus, do not worry. So this is an interesting section. The middle verse, the middle two verses are like a riddle, aren't they? The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? A person's goals reveal their gods. A person's goals reveal their gods. 
And so if we take verses 22 and 23, and we substitute the word I with goal, and the word body with life, it will read like this. The goal is the lamp of the life, or the direction for your life. If your goals are good, that is godly, God-oriented, your whole life will be full of light. But if your goals are bad, that is materialistic and money-driven, your whole life will be full of darkness. If then the light or the direction within you is darkness, un- or non-godly, how great is that darkness? The psalmist declared that in your light, we see light. So it's not possible for you and I to have light apart from God. If it's not his direction, his influence, and his presence, it is darkness. There's not a neutral area. There's not sort of a twilight zone that we can live in, is there? We're either in the light or we're in the darkness. And so Jesus is telling us that the only way for us to have light within us is if the orientation of our lives determined by the goals, the direction that we are going. It needs to be completely God-oriented. Or else, great is the darkness within us. It's interesting when you study the next two verses, or the next verse, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, your Bible may say mammon. Notice that if you have the NIV, not only is it translated money, but it's also in uppercase as something that is personal. Something that has a personality. The word mammon literally means possession or property. And as Jesus describes it for us here, it is a God. There is the true God, and then there is the God whose name is mammon property, possessions. Mammon is a spiritual entity. It has the supernatural ability to attract one to its influence and to distract one from a single-minded devotedness to Jesus Christ and his purposes. Again, mammon is a god. It's not neutral. 
but it's supernatural in its power. It attracts people to its influence. It distracts people from single-minded devotedness to Christ. And notice that Jesus does not call for balance in our lives. He says you cannot serve both. You can't balance both. Your desire for material things and your love for God. And Jesus makes it so much an either-or that he uses the words love and hate. And he says, you cannot serve. The word that he uses there, there's a number of, of Greek words for serve. Jesus uses the verb that is related to slavery. To be in slavery or subjection. To be occupied in the service of. That's the primary meaning of the word as he uses it here. To be occupied in the service of. To be enthralled. And Jesus is saying, you can't be occupied in the service of mammon or money and still be occupied in the service of God. I really don't know what people who have a prosperity orientation do with these passages of scriptures. Do you? The word master means possession, owner, sovereign. The word hate that Jesus uses here is to regard with ill will, to abhor, the word love that he uses is a form of agape. It's agapeo. And it means to value, to esteem, to be faithful to, to delight in, to set store upon. Here's something that was so interesting to me. Again, Jesus said, you will either love one and hate the other, or it will be the reverse. No middle ground. The word that he uses here is the same word that is used in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. When it said, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Jesus uses the same word. Paul wrote to Timothy, and told Timothy as a pastor to remind his people that the desire to abound, the desire to have abundance, is a temptation, a trap, and it leads to many foolish and harmful desires. He told Timothy, as he continued writing, you tell those who have an abundance in life, that would characterize me. How about you? Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. In other words, live as though you don't have what you have. Be rich in good deeds. 
Be generous and willing to share. And he said to Timothy, you tell them that that is the only way to lay up treasure as a firm foundation for the coming age. When we get to heaven, the kind of foundation that we laid will be revealed. Timothy, you tell those who have an abundance, the only way for them to have a foundation when they get to heaven is to be rich in good deeds. And that is the only way that they will be able to take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, you tell them that they need to be letting go of some things that they own if they are going to take hold of more of God. Now, here's what I find interesting, and I share all of that not because I think that all of you are materialistically driven, but because it is God's word, and we are studying it. But here's what's interesting. Jesus fills this passage with do-nots. And he only has two do's. Do lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, which according to Paul writing to Timothy, is our richness in good deeds, and do seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we are far more inclined, Jesus wants us to believe, because of our inclinations, we need more to be warned, do not. And there is only one real do that we should be occupied with and focused upon. Now again, it's not that I think that I have a materialistic church, a materialistic congregation, but it is because Jesus will also remind us in the following passage of the other one of those things that he said would cause people to be unprepared for his return, and that is the anxieties of life. And the one thing that you and I should be content with, Scripture says, is that we have the Lord. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Godliness with contentment. Paul said to Timothy, is our greatest gain. And in the days in which you and I live, as our lives become more and more uncertain, and they will, you and I need to be more and more fixed with certainty on Jesus Christ. Our hearts set exclusively on him. Our desire to possess more of his righteousness. Our singular pursuit, his kingdom. In that way, we will be laying a firm foundation 
in that way, we will be able to stand no matter what comes. And so let's pray. For when we pray tonight, we're not only praying for one another. We're not only hearing these words for ourselves, but as priests at a prayer altar, we're praying for others. We're praying for our children and their mindsets and their ambitions and goals in life. We are praying for others in the body of Christ. That they will not be weighed down with any of these things that would keep them unprepared. We are praying for one another and for our entire church family. That people will have one singular desire because Jesus said you can't balance the two out. To seek God and his righteousness and let him add whatever else he chooses to add to our lives. That's where our greatest security will be, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm.